I want you to raise your hand if your family is a mess. Raise your hand right now. Like, your family doesn't suffer from insanity. Y'all actually enjoy it, right? If your family motto is, wow, that escalated quickly, raise your hand. I, uh, I like to say my family is temperamental, half temper, half mental. That's, that's my family. All of us, though, right? Every one of our families, we've got at least that one really awful relative who always messes everything up for everybody else and he makes everything uncomfortable all the time. If you don't know who that is in your family right now, it's you, okay? Just know that. And I, I think that, I think all of our families are a mixed bag at best, right? I mean, with our family, we get both joy and terror. We, we get both beauty and brokenness. And I, I read these studies all the time that parents are happier than people who don't have kids, and married people are better off than single. And then the very next week, another study will come out and say just the opposite, that parents are more depressed than people who don't have kids, and married people have more anxiety and more regrets than single people. And some research will show that families grow us up and make us stable. The next research shows that uh, families actually destabilize us and make us nuts. And it's probably all true. Family is awesome. And it's awful. Family is hard. One of the reasons it's hard is because we can't control very much of it at all. We can't pick out our parents or our genes or where we're raised. And we don't know everything we need to know about our spouses or our kids. If you're in a family, you're going to be hurt. And you're going to hurt others. If you're in a family, in fact, nothing opens you up to more potential for pain than being in a family. Parents can nurture you and they can reject you. A spouse can love you and also leave you. Children can bring you countless hours and weeks and months and years of joy. They can also rip your guts out in a thousand different ways. Family is both terrific and terrible. It's both a blessing and a burden, kind of like the cross. Family matters. Family is important because family has a whole lot to do with how you look and how you think and how you act. And again, most of it is totally out of your control. Our youngest daughter, Carly, she gets told all the time, man, you look exactly like your dad. How completely horrifying that must be for her. How traumatizing, because she does. And she can't do a crying thing about it. Bless her heart. I went to a funeral a few years ago in Dallas at the church where I was born and raised. And there's a guy way across the room. I hadn't seen him in almost 20 years. I start walking towards him, and as I get closer, he starts grinning. And I walk up to him, and I say, hey, how's it going? And he looks at me like this. John? That's my dad's name. And he just starts laughing. And it's terrible for me. I hate that. I, uh, I fold bath towels the way my mom and dad fold bath towels, which is not the way my wife folds bath towels, <laughs> which is something we've had to work through. 
Now, I didn't wake up one morning and decide I'm going to do a lot of research, I'm going to do a lot of study. I want to know the rational, logical, best way a bath towel should be folded. That's not what I did. I just fold towels the way my family folds towels, the right way, okay, <laughs> by the way. Families are tough, man. I, I, think, I think for a lot of people, family is comforting. They take pride in their family. They're, they're connected in their family. There's a solidarity there. There's a belonging. Family feels good. It feels safe. There's an identity there. And I think people like that, they, uh, they get a lot out of genealogy workshops. And maybe they've got the, the, the family crest on the wall in their living rooms, right? But for others, the family stuff can be troubling, even paralyzing. Maybe you hate that you look the way you do or that you think the way you think or that you act the way you act or maybe you hate the situation that you're in just in life in general because of your family and maybe you try to escape it or run away from it but you can't. One thing family tells us is that all of us are a part of somebody else's story. Family reminds us in undebatable ways that you are part of something so much bigger than you, way back in the past and way going forward into the future. Each of us is a product of an infinite number of decisions that were made by other people. Think about this. If your great-great-great-grandfather hadn't left his homeland when he did, you might not be able to understand the language I'm speaking this morning. If my grandmother's parents hadn't moved to Dallas where she was born a little over 100 years ago and where she eventually met and married her husband, I wouldn't even exist today. I'd be somebody else completely and I wouldn't even know it. We all belong to other people's stories. You don't know hardly anything about my relatives. You don't. But my last name tells you at least a little something my last name tells you a little bit about my father's side of the family, Stanglin. Stanglin. If you wanted to take that name and you wanted to take all the stories that I've been told my whole life, you could trace my dad's family all the way back to the country hillsides of Germany. That's what I've been told my whole life. Stanglin, Stanglin, that's a good German name. Das ist gut, right? And if those stories ever proved to not be true, and there are some questions... At the very least, the stories we tell would let you know we're a family who would like to think we're from the country hillsides of Germany. Now, if I wanted to, I could reject my family name and I could just be Alan, right? If I wanted to run away from my family, not be connected to my family, I could just be Alan. But just my first name also tells you a little something about my family because my first name is not Sergey or Moon Unit. That tells you my parents are not Russian. And they're not hippies. Even if I changed all of my name, if I rejected every bit of it and I said, my name is now going to be Aloysius Delicious. That's my name. I am forevermore going to be called Aloysius Delicious. That could be my name. People would still connect me to my family. They'd say, there goes Aloysius Delicious. Isn't that John and Beverly Stanglin's son? What's wrong with him? You can't run away from it. 
All of us belong to our larger family stories, stories that are full of lots of other characters. No matter how much you want to believe that you shaped and formed yourself and that you control your own personality and destiny, we all come from somewhere. We all belong to other people. Again, for a lot of us, that's good. Maybe you're really thankful for all the things that you have received from your family. Because you grew up where and when and with the people you did, you know how to make guacamole. Or you know how to change a tire. Or you know how to pray. You were taught to trust Jesus as Lord. Maybe your love for a certain baseball team that rips your heart out every year. Maybe that came from your family. Maybe, maybe your crazy math skills. Maybe you're really proud and grateful for what you've received from your family. But for some of us, the family inheritance is not so great. Maybe it's even really dark. You know, you, you've tried to cut yourself off from your family and you're really frustrated that that is so hard to accomplish. And you can leave your hometown and you can never ever speak to any of your relatives ever again and you can go the complete total opposite direction when it comes to your family's career and social and political and religious choices. But you still see your father's eyes when you look in the mirror. And you still hear things come out of your mouth that your mama says. We know family matters. Family is big. And in our culture, and it's been this way forever, family is one of the biggest ways we keep score. Family is how we display our happiness and our success. It used to just be Christmas cards, you know, the annual Christmas letter. You know, little Connor won the science fair. Our sweet Emma was named partner in her law firm. And all that's good and all that's true. We're not making any of it up. But you never put in your Christmas card the news about Aunt Alice's restraining order. It's all the good stuff, right? And now with Instagram and Facebook, it's like we're getting Christmas cards every day. Every couple of hours, we're getting these highlight reels from our families and our friends. We're doing so great. We're having so much fun. We're being so successful, and we are so good looking. I've seen your Facebook posts. Come on, nobody's that happy. A lot of the time, we use our families to mirror to the world the kind of person we want others to see us to be because if my family looks good then I look good and if my family is messed up well then maybe I look a little messed up a lot of us in this room this morning we are trapped in unhealthy cycles because we've made our families the number one priority in our lives we're idealizing our families, maybe idolizing our families. But we've made family too important. And you want your kids to be successful. I know, I get it, me too. But you've got them in sports camps and traveling teams and academic tutoring and leadership clubs. And you're trying to get them the perfect scholarship to the perfect university so they can have the perfect career. He's in second grade. You're running every day, morning to night, from this practice to that performance and his meeting and her club. And if you added just one more tiny responsibility to this ridiculous schedule of endless events, the whole thing might fall apart. You're working overtime all the time trying to accomplish unrealistic goals for your family. And maybe, 
Maybe it's killing you. Maybe it's too much. Maybe at night, sometimes you feel like a failure as a parent, as a spouse, maybe both. The sex in your marriage is unfulfilling or maybe barely exists. Maybe you're living your life through your kids and they resent you for it. Maybe your parents are aging and it's requiring more time and resources. And it's just, it's too much. You've got family values. But maybe your family values are making your family miserable. Family matters, okay? Family's huge. And here's what we have to do. We have to understand why family is so important to us. And it is. And it should be. But we also have to see why family can never be ultimate to us. We need to see family clearly, but we've got to see beyond family. Family is important, church, but it is not the most important thing. We need to crucify our family values. Turn to Luke chapter 14. This is a sermon. This is a Christian church. We're going to hear from Jesus. Luke chapter 14, verse 27, it's in red. These are the words of Jesus. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, these words from Jesus are very uncontroversial for Christians, mainly because we don't fully understand exactly what Jesus is calling us to with these words. Well, we've talked about it before. Your cross to carry is not your bursitis, and it's not your nosy neighbor. It's not some inconvenience that just happens to come with living in a broken world. Your cross to carry is the ridicule and the humiliation that comes to you when you totally turn your whole life over to Christ. When you submit every part of yourself completely to Jesus as the Lord of your life. When all of everything you are dies to self and lives completely for Jesus, you are going to face ridicule and humiliation and death. That's the cross. And Jesus introduces that to us in the context of our families. Verse 26, the words of our Lord Jesus. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Okay, this is not the passage we read in this room on Mother's Day. Have you noticed that? This is not our theme passage for Vacation Bible School this next summer. In fact, we hardly ever hear these words from our Lord Jesus. And when we do hear them, we jump up very quickly to say very adamantly what Jesus is not saying. You know, Jesus says the word hate, but he doesn't mean that literally. Jesus is talking about our priorities. He's only talking about the things that we should put first. And that's right, and that's true. And we do need to say that. And understand that. But C.S. Lewis says this verse is only profitable for those who read it in horror. If you already hate your dad, if you really dislike your mom, C.S. Lewis says steer clear of this verse. Don't read this verse. It's not going to help you. This verse is for people who love their families. This verse is supposed to rattle us a little bit. 
These words of Jesus are supposed to shake us up. You know, we call our Lord Jesus the Prince of Peace. And he blessed the peacemakers, right? And when he was born, the angels in heaven announced to the earth that Jesus would bring peace to all the world. But then Jesus says this in Matthew 10. He says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, which doesn't take much. A man's enemies will be the members of his own house. Look, this is not some weird, obscure, isolated teaching from Jesus. This is not some exception. This is one of Jesus' main and oft-repeated teachings. That when Jesus talks about living by the cross, almost half the time he contrasts that with how we see our families. Continuing, verse 37, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. It is about priorities. Look at how Jesus calls his disciples in Luke chapter 9. Jesus says to this man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. That sounds like a noble thing to do. Jesus says, you're not ready for the kingdom of God if you're going to do that. You're not ready for this calling. Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go proclaim the kingdom of God. What? Still another man. I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. That seems like the least decent thing to do. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus, our Lord, doesn't even sound like a decent guy. Does Jesus have any family values? He wasn't married, didn't have kids. Seems like he disrespected his family. One time when Jesus was teaching, this woman yells out from the crowd. She says, blessed is the womb that bore you and blessed are the breasts that nursed you. I preach and teach all the time. Sometimes, every now and then, people will yell at me. That's never been yelled at me before. In fact, no one's yelled at me to compliment my mom for anything. Jesus says, no, no, blessed instead, not my mom, blessed instead are those who hear the word of God. And keep it. Mark chapter 3. Jesus is teaching inside of a crowded house. His mother and his brothers show up. They're standing outside. They sent someone in to call Jesus. A crowd was sitting around. I'm in verse 32. And and they told Jesus, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Jesus says, who are my brothers and mother? Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus marginalized his own immediate family in ways that would make anybody in any time and culture uncomfortable. But especially, think about this, in Jesus' culture and time and place in first century Palestine in the Middle East. Jesus' attitude toward family might be the most controversial thing about Jesus. And that's saying a lot because he said and did a lot of controversial things. 
Jesus is going against something universal here. The bonds of family. The sacred ties between family members. That's why we don't make spouses testify against spouses in court. That's why we don't force kids to witness against their parents because that goes against something very deep and very eternal and very much inside of us as important. The bottom line here is that Jesus does not make family as important as the culture makes family. And that's exactly how Jesus saves the family. By crucifying our family values. By understanding family through the lens of his cross. There's a lot at stake here, church. And there's some tension here. Because in many ways, family represents the gospel. God creates our families and he sustains our families and he puts us in our families to point us toward and train us for the good news of the gospel. Being a child trains us to be totally dependent. Our sibling relationships train us for the joys and the difficulties of living and serving together as brothers and sisters in God's church. Marriage is intended by God to illustrate the divine love and faithfulness that God has for his son and his son has for his people. Parenting reminds us of the unconditional love of God. And so our family relationships are not just about making us happy and giving us a place to belong. They're a reflection of and a training ground for us as joint heirs with Christ in the eternal family of God. That's what this is all about. And brothers and sisters, that's why we need help. We need wisdom. We need to know how to honor our parents without becoming enmeshed with them. We need to know how to honor marriage without idealizing it or idolizing it. We need to know how to train and discipline our kids without being harsh or negligent or doting helicopters. And the stakes are high. It is no accident that in every single generation, the devil tries his hardest to destroy the peace of the marriage covenant and the integrity of the sexual union and the bond between parents and children. Why? Why is the devil always attacking our families? Because the family, in many ways, represents the gospel. Family announces the truth that the end of life is not the click of the lid on the casket. It's the clinking of celebratory glasses at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Church, that's good news. That's why the demonic powers rage in fury and work around the clock against your family. This is hard. Church, this has always been hard. Ever since Adam and Eve ate that apple or that pear or kumquat, whatever it was, as soon as they ate it, Sin has had a field day with our families. You see it immediately. You see it in the book of Genesis. You've got conflict and strife between husband and wife. You've got jealousy and violence between brothers, fathers and daughters and uncles and cousins, sexual blackmail, rape, incest, lying. You see all of that in the opening chapters of the very first book of the Bible. All families are a mess. If your family's not a mess, you're not paying attention. 
And in the middle of this reality that our families are messed up, in the middle of that, the Bible does not give us an instruction manual for families. The Bible gives us the cross. The cross. God knows your family is messed up. And there's grace for that. God knows about your divorce. There's mercy for that. God knows you're not a perfect parent. There's forgiveness for that at the cross. Your family is redeemed at the cross. As an astounding act of his limitless love and grace, God sends his son to us. His son, our Lord Jesus Christ, comes to us from the womb of an unmarried virgin who had never had sex, which, by the way, shows us right out of the gate, nature cannot save us. Family is good. Family's not good enough. It's not enough to save us. Romans chapter 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Some of you, I know, I know you struggle to believe that God really loves you. Maybe because of your family history. Maybe your family is the reason for your rebellion. Your alcoholism, your abortion, your violence, your sexual past, your prison time, whatever it is. Maybe your, your current immediate family is so messed up and, and you live in fear every day. You're cringing every day. You're, you're looking over your shoulder because you believe God is mad at you and God wants to punish you. I'm telling you, no. No. Your family does impact how you look and how you think and how you behave, but it never for one second defines your identity as a beloved child of our God in heaven. Your family does not define for you one second your relationship to God in Christ. How? Because of the cross. Everything's made right at the cross. Verse 9, still in Romans 5. Since now we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved? When we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved? You know that, that Everybody Loves Raymond clip? Patricia Heaton's character is saying, do not judge me because of my family. Yes, that's right. At the cross, you are not judged. Your family is not judged. At the cross, your family is saved. You and your family are healed. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. You are restored. You are saved. Jesus says, follow me. Trust me, and I'll take care of everything. You give up your life, and I'll save it. You be last, and I'll make you first. You serve, and you suffer, and you sacrifice for me and for the gospel, and I'll give you my eternal glory. Church, that's our salvation. That is the gospel paradox, that the only way to really live is to die. 
The only way to really win is to lose. That's the wisdom of God. That's the power of God. And all of it is hidden right there at the cross in ways that might terrify us and trouble us. But it's real and it's guaranteed. About 550 years ago, Martin Luther said, The cross is the safest of all things. How blessed is the one who understands. Church, we have to understand both. Why family is so important for us and why it can never be ultimate. We've got to see family clearly, but we've got to see beyond it. Church, we need to crucify our family values. Because if we seek the kingdom of God first, we'll be better able to seek the welfare of our families. If we love Jesus more than we love our families, then we are free to love our families more and better than we ever could have otherwise. If we'll just give up our suffocating grip on our families whether it's idealizing your family in the present, whether it's a nostalgia for your family in the past, or whether it's the worry and the anxiety you have for your family in the future, if we'll just relax a little bit and let that go, give that to Jesus at the cross, then we can be a better family together in Christ, the family that Jesus died on the cross to give us. Mark chapter 10. Listen to the words of our Lord. He says, I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus is talking about right now, today, right now in the present, 100 times. 100%. And where does all that come from? Through the terrible and wonderful cross of Jesus Christ. The cross that redeems you and all your family matters. Family is kind of like the cross. The source of life-giving blessing and excruciating torture. At the cross, we see the awful curse of sin. And we see the amazing grace of God. At the cross, Jesus experienced the joy set before him and the shame that he so despised. These families of ours, they can fill us with joy. And they can also make us open to a lot of pain. Nothing can demonstrate that that you are loved and that you belong quite like family. And there ain't nothing that can strip away your confidence and all your assumptions quite like family. Just know that your family is not the ultimate thing. Over the next five Sundays, we're going to look very closely at what the Bible says about family, about marriage, about parenting, about sex, about divorce, about old age. The Bible thinks these things are really important, and so do we. I just want you to know today that the worst thing that can happen to you is not whatever you went through a long time ago with your mom and dad. The worst thing that can happen to you is not that your sister won't talk to you anymore. The worst thing that can happen to you is not a spouse cheating on you or dying on you. The worst thing that can happen to you is not your children rebelling against you 
It's not even having to go to your child's funeral. As awful and terrible as all those things are, the worst thing that can happen to you is missing out on the good news. The worst thing that can happen to you is not saying yes to the gospel that by the cross of Jesus Christ, you and your family matters are being redeemed. That God in Christ has opened the door for all of us to belong to him and to one another as brothers and sisters in, in Christ and that we'll be united together with him and with each other forever. Not by the blood that runs in our veins, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ that he spilled for you and for me at the cross. Amen. Stand with me, church. Let's sing together.